As you guys know, those who have been joining us, we're going through the book of Galatians. And this has been an awesome series. I got to kick it off here a few weeks back, starting in week one. Um, and I hope that you guys have been reading through it on your own. Because what we go over in here is, is really just a small part of what Paul is really sharing in this book, in this letter to the Galatians. So what we invited you to do was to read one chapter a day. Okay, there's six chapters if you read one chapter a day, you're going to get through the book of Galatians six times throughout our six-week study here. So you'll really get an in-depth study of it. Um, so we're inviting you guys to do that. If you haven't, you can get started right now, right? Um, but let me just kind of recap what we've been going over so far, okay? So in week one, we talked about one gospel, okay? Now, we were, we were talking about, we were given a little bit of backstory about why Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians. So on his first missionary trip, he went through the region of Galatia with Barnabas. They were planting churches, spreading the gospel, um, and it, it was just awesome. They were seeing this really change people. People were getting excited about this. Churches were growing, and people were coming to know Jesus. But what happened after they left is a group of people, we call them Judaizers, they started coming through after, and while they said, yeah, that's, that's great that you guys know Jesus and everything, but you don't have the full gospel. This isn't it. You guys haven't done it all yet. And they started telling them that they needed to become Jewish first, that they needed to be circumcised, practicing the law of Moses and all these things, right? And this is a different gospel than what Paul taught. And so Paul wrote this letter in response to that. He wrote this uh, really harshly criticizing those people that came through after, teaching a different gospel. So that's what we talked about in week one. In week two, we called it two meetings, okay? Because Paul um, refers to two different meetings that he had in the early church. One of them was the first council that they had in Jerusalem with the early church to really lay down what the true gospel was and dispel with any of these false teachings that were starting to infiltrate the church already, okay? That was the one meeting he was talking about. The other meeting that he refers to is one that he had, um, it was kind of a, it was a confrontation, really, with the apostle Peter that he had. Peter was, um, he was kind of, he was different with the Jewish people who were still practicing that, that strong Judaism, right? Than he was with the Gentiles who had converted. And he was a different person with these people. And it was confusing, right? It was confusing not only for the Jews, but for these Gentiles who, who were just joining, thinking, hey, I've got Jesus, I'm saved too. They were all excited about this. Well, they're getting a different message, right? They're seeing Peter behave differently. And so it was just, it was causing a lot of confusion. So Paul has this confrontation with Peter about it. And that's what we talked about in week two. In week three, we called this one the promise. The promise that we're talking about goes clear back to the Old Testament. It was the promise given to Abraham, okay? And what we, what we really learned here was that the gospel of grace that we know and that Paul was teaching, uh, this wasn't something new. This was something that, that began long ago with this promise that God made to Abraham, that he was gonna bless the entire world through Abraham, okay? Abraham, at his time, they didn't have the law of Moses, right? He wasn't, he wasn't Jewish. They weren't practicing all these laws and rituals, but he was justified by faith. 
The same way that we're justified today, the same gospel that Paul was teaching at that time. And so that's what, what Paul's talking about is this promise um, that, that that was enough to justify Abraham and it's enough for us today too. And last week we called this one labor pains, okay? This one, um, we got into talking about the law a little bit more and talking about what its purpose was, okay? The law we kind of talked about was like a placeholder, right? The law was kind of a placeholder. It was meant to reveal our sin and reveal our need to be rescued from our sin, okay? And, and in this, we, uh, we call it labor pains because we talked about um, two ancient mothers in Jewish history, okay? And it's going back to Abraham again. The story of Abraham, there's, there's um, a promise that God makes to, to bless all the world through Abraham's lineage, right? He's gonna, he's gonna make his, his descendants numbered like the stars, he says. In order to do that, Abraham needs a son. So God promised him a son with his wife, Sarah. Years and years go by, right? No son, no son. And so what happens is Abraham and Sarah, they, they start to get frustrated. They decide to take it into their own hands. So Sarah offers her servant um, Hagar to Abraham to, um, so that they can obviously have a child together. And this was kind of taking this into their own hands, right? And, and Paul uses this as, a, as an example of the false gospel, a gospel of, I'm going to do this. I'm gonna do this under my power. Now the true gospel, he equates to when that promise really was fulfilled later on, uh, Abraham and Sarah finally had the child that was promised uh, by God. And that he relates to the true gospel of grace through faith, okay? So that catches you up now to, to chapter five that we're starting in. And in chapter five, we're calling this one true freedom. And in this chapter, Paul's gonna talk about what living out the true freedom of the gospel really looks like. Okay? And this is freedom not just from the law, this is also freedom from our sin. Okay? This, is, this freedom is going to allow us the ability to live out the life that God has for us. And this is a really powerful chapter. Okay? So in the first four weeks, uh, Paul was kind of giving a, a theological argument for the gospel, right? But today, we're really gonna get into the practice of living out the gospel. Before Paul was giving kind of the what um, and the why of the gospel, right? What it is, why we need it. Now, today, he's gonna talk about the how. And this really relates to what we talk about at Alpine Church as going full circle with our faith, okay? This um, is, is something that we really put a lot of focus on. Uh, so we start by trusting Jesus, right, for our salvation. And then we live to honor God. Now, if you notice on here that honoring God, living a life to honor God, doesn't, be, doesn't come before trusting Jesus, right? We can't even live that God-honoring life until we've put our faith in Jesus. We're not even saved yet. If I haven't put my trust in Jesus, I'm not saved yet. So how can I live this God-honoring life? And so that's what um, we're gonna be talking about a little more today. And this really relates to 
this central theme of Galatians, okay? We're calling this the sweet spot of grace, okay? And this is where we reside. This is where our salvation is found. It's found in grace alone. It's not found in works, right? On one side we have, we're working for our, working for our salvation. On the other side, we're not doing anything. We think that we're just, we're saved, we're good. We can live any life that we want to, okay? And this sweet spot of grace is the, the freedom that God calls us into. And that's what we're gonna really talk about today. So our first point that we come to, okay, is that Jesus came to give us true freedom. And that's not slavery to works on one side or sin on the other, okay? Now, in, in Galatians, starting in verse one of chapter five, Paul writes, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. So now what does it say here? Christ has truly set us free, right? Freedom can only come through Jesus. No other way. There's no other way that freedom comes to us. Now, we know that um, we were created free, right? If we go clear back to the beginning with Adam and Eve, before sin entered the world, we were free. We were free from sin. Adam and Eve were born free. And that was God's original design, was this idea of freedom. And after God created humans, he said it was very good, right? It was very good. But since then, since Adam and Eve uh, chose their sin over following God, now we're, now we're under this curse of sin, okay? And we're all born into it. We all live with this sin nature. Sometimes we call it the flesh, right? And Jesus, he freed us from that, okay? He took on the punishment that we, that we rack up, that this debt that we owe for our sin, Jesus took that and paid that for us. And no amount of good works, there's no making up for it. There's nothing that we can do to make that up. Jesus was the one who could do it and he did it. Now, if we feel like we can work for it, then what did Jesus die for? What was he doing? If we can earn our salvation, there's no need for Jesus. And that's the danger in that. And that's what we really talked about a lot in week one. But the question is, as we get more into this today, does this mean that if we're set free, that we can go on living a life of sin? Can we go on just living as though we've got like a free pass? Just live our life however we want to? I'm good, that's covered. This is covered, that's covered. Well, Paul, um, he talks about that a little more, if we get into the book of Romans, the letter that Paul wrote to the Roman church, he talks about this, okay? He says, well then, should we, keep, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Now after this, Paul goes on to kind of give a, a, a visual example using baptism. In baptism, I don't know if you guys have witnessed baptisms here or, or other places, um, we, we use it kind of as a demonstration of, 
of dying with Christ, okay? Burying our old life, burying ourselves with Christ. And that's what we symbolize as we go into the water. Coming out of the water is, is symbolic of this new life, and it's symbolic of the resurrection of Jesus and this new life that we have in Jesus. So we've died to our old nature, okay? When we get baptized, that's what we're symbolizing. That's what we're declaring, that I'm dying to my old nature. I'm dying to my old life. I want this new life that Jesus offers me. So if you've been baptized, that old person is gone. What was Paul saying here? He's saying, don't go back and live in that dead person. Person's dead. That's a dead life. Uh, hopefully, a few of you were here to see uh, Ella Fuller's baptism a few weeks ago. It, it was awesome. Um, and uh, we, we had a video made. Her mom, Regina, made a, a video with her. And I think she explained baptism perfectly. In fact, I... I really didn't need to explain it to you guys because I let her do it in the video and it was awesome. Uh, but one thing that stood out to me was when her mom asked her, uh, what's gonna be different? What, is your life gonna be any different now? Is it, gonna, is it gonna be just this completely transformed thing? And Ella says, no. But then she says, but, but I'm going to think differently now. Going forward, I'm gonna think about all the choices I make. And what she's doing is she's embracing this new life that we're talking about, right? And I, I just thought that was awesome. She's talking about um, living for other people. And that's what we're really called to. That's what this true freedom is. See, true freedom is, get, is about getting back to the original intent of the law. And that original intent was to love God and love others. Paul goes on to explain where freedom comes, comes in, okay? In regards to the law. In relation to the law, where does our freedom lie? He's gonna explain that as he goes on into verses 13 and 14. He says, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. They were free because of Jesus and his work on the cross. But the question is, what are we gonna do with that freedom? Here's an interesting question. If we go back to serving our flesh, if we go back to just embracing any desire that comes up, following our our own desires, our own heart. Is that real freedom? Isn't that what Jesus saved us from? From those desires, those sinful desires? We're just becoming enslaved again. We're putting those chains back on. I know for me, anytime I'm going back to my flesh, I'm embracing any of that, it is. It, I can feel me putting those chains back on. What is he saying our freedom should be used for? He's telling us to serve each other and to love each other. And that's something that was so hard to do before, wasn't it? So hard to do when we're, when we're just enslaved by ourselves. We are so selfish. And Jesus offers that freedom. 
And he says the law is completely summed up in that, right? And Paul's not the only one who said that. Jesus said it too. He said as much when he was tested by religious leaders as he was out doing his ministry. They, they were testing him and they asked him, which is the greatest commandment? And we see here in Matthew 22, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What does that say at the end there? The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. See, our freedom was bought for a purpose. And that purpose was so that we could really follow God, really live the life that he has for us. What we need to do is to die to ourselves, die to our old sin nature. We need to be given a new heart. And Ezekiel, clear back in the Old Testament, prophesies about this. Ezekiel says, and I will give you a new heart. These are, these are the words of God coming through Ezekiel. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Now this, this was a promise from God to the nation of Israel, okay? This was prophesied by Ezekiel and fulfilled through the work of Jesus. So what does it take to be obedient to God and to follow him how he really intended us to? We need a new heart. We need a tender, responsive heart. And we need to be remade on the inside it's not these outside works, this, this, this persona that we put off, making us look like a good person. That's not what we need. We don't need the shell. We need to be remade on the inside. And I think uh, Jesus actually uses a parable that, that relates to this pretty well. I don't know if you guys have heard the parable about uh, putting the old wine or the new wine into old wineskins. But in Luke chapter 5, verse 37, Jesus said, And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. See, now wineskins were made out of leather, okay? And when leather becomes older, it can becomes hard and rigid, right? Now, when you would put new wine into a wineskin, it would ferment and expand in there. So if you put new wine into an old wineskin, it would burst open, it would be ruined, right? So what do they do? They put it in a new wineskin. And I relate that to our heart. We need a new heart. We need this tender, responsive heart for the spirit to come take up residence in there. 
Our old, sinful, stubborn hearts need to be taken away. And that new heart needs to be put in. Because true freedom can only be achieved from the inside out. And it's the product of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. This new life with this new freedom, it can only come about by letting the Holy Spirit in. We need to be changed from the inside in order to see the outward change. It can't be done in our own power. It's done by the Holy Spirit. If we go on to read what Paul says going on into 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. See, apart from the Spirit, we're ruled by our our sin nature. We can't live the new life that Jesus calls us into. And, And it says here, our sin nature is in complete opposition to the Spirit. We can't be ruled by both of these. We either submit to one, we either submit to the Spirit that's in us, or we submit to our sin nature. It's one or the other. Now, uh, Paul explains a little bit uh, about contrasting the sin nature versus the Spirit, okay? the fruits that come from the Spirit. Now, you see up at the top there, it's this, uh, these are the words for sin nature and for spirit that are the uh, common Greek words of the time that the New Testament was written, okay? Sarix means sinful nature, and pneuma means spirit. Now, take a look at this list. This isn't all of them that he lists in here, right? But this is just a few of them. But we look over on the sinful nature side, right? We see hostility, quarreling, jealousy, anger, division. Now let's contrast that with the fruits of the Spirit that he talks about. Love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. So what do you notice when comparing these two to each other? I know I notice that on one side, I see traits that are self-serving, completely selfish. Now, traits on both sides, they kind of are, they're relational traits, right? But on, this, on the sinful nature side, every one of those traits is, is selfish and destructive to relationships. On the other side, on the spirit side, we see these fruits of the spirit that help to um, really just generate and grow relationships with God and with other people. And these traits, they, they express love, right? They express love to other people. And what have we been talking about? That's what we're called to do. See, when we've chosen to give, in our, li- when we've chosen to give our lives to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in 
and lives in us. These fruits of the Spirit that we're talking about, those are a product of the Spirit. They're fruits. They grow out of that. They don't come out of us on our own. And that's why Paul refers to them as fruits. So if, as, long as, we, as long as we let the Spirit work in us, let the Spirit grow and do what it's going to do and work through us, take away our selfish sin nature, let us serve, love other people, these fruits are gonna grow. So Paul calls us to do this. He goes on to say in verse 25, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Now, this seems like a pretty simple verse, right? Just follow the Spirit's leading. But those of you who've been Christians for a long time or a short time, maybe you're not a Christian yet, but I can tell you it's, it's not easy. <laughs> and I can testify to that. This lesson is, is not just for you guys today. This lesson's for me as well because I constantly struggle with this. I constantly struggle to let the Spirit lead my life. I, I get caught up in wanting to control things. I get caught up in, in wanting to do and do and do and thinking that, that that's actually where fruits are gonna come out of, my own strength. And so this, this lesson's a, a good reminder to me today, and, and I hope it's a good reminder to all of us, that if we let the Spirit guide our lives, if we really let the Spirit work through us, we're gonna see these fruits, and it's a new life, and it's rewarding, it's fulfilling. Now, I invite you, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, if you haven't put, in, put your faith in Jesus for your salvation, I really encourage you to do that today because this new life is worth living. There's nothing good that's gonna come out of us without the spirit at work in us and that spirit can come in. That spirit can give you a new life. And if you'd like to make that decision today, I invite you to do that. See, Jesus, Jesus came, he came off his throne. He came to be a man in this broken, sinful world and he, and he showed us how to love and how to serve each other and he lived that perfect, sinless life that none of us could. And what he did with that was he gave that life up for us to make us right before God because we could never do it without him. And that's how much he loves us. That's how much he loves you, whether you've put your trust in him or not yet. If you'd like to make that decision, I invite you to find somebody um, after service. Come find me. Come find a leader. You can contact us. Like I, like I talked about during the announcements on our, on our page on there, uh, alpinechurch.org slash Syracuse. You can contact us through there. And we'd love to help you make that decision and talk with you more about it because this is the most important decision of your life. Let's go ahead and pray. God, um, we are just grateful to have your word. We're grateful for your spirit, and we're grateful for Jesus. 
We're grateful for this new life that you offer. We, we are all here because we know that the old life offers nothing but, but death. There's nothing to come from it. No good will come out of it. And so we are all here now. Some of us are here uh, because we know you and we're here to worship you and praise you for that. Some of us are here seeking you. Some of us are here seeking who you are, what you can do for us because we're lost. And God, I would just pray that hearts would be open, minds would be open to your, your spirit's work there, that you would convict people of knowing your truth, of knowing how much you love us, that you gave your son for us. We are so undeserving of it, but you love us that much, God, and we are so thankful for that. And God, I just pray that those that are feeling led to speak with somebody after this, that they would, they would have the courage to do that. And God, I just pray that as a church, we would be able to continue sharing your love, sharing the gospel with those that haven't heard it, those that don't know you. God, we're so blessed and we're so grateful to know you. We're so blessed by Jesus and the sacrifice that he made for us. God, we just pray all of these things in Jesus' precious name, amen.